always there for us so uh amen so uh for your tithing you can tithe in the back in the blue boxes or go to www.bridgenc.com click on the gift tab um it's been a great week for me personally um got to see a, a young man yesterday it's very special to me uh go up who i've been mentoring ever since he was 10 he's playing college football at pembroke so enjoyed that day um you know sometimes we do things and i always speak about just being a part of a splash and let god handle the ripple so uh when you get to see some of that ripple it, it, it it's truly a blessing so uh let's keep uh our men and women so uh in the service abroad lifted up in prayer um they do so much for us. Bill Letterer, so glad to have you back, my brother, from your business trip. Um, glad everything went okay. Um, church family can't be here. Sheila Smith, Carl and Joe Tyner, uh, Miss Ella Alibera, and uh, her husband, Kenny. Oh, darling, I'm sorry. I'll, oh, thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, you covered up the mask, but yeah, um, glad to have you back. I mean, it's just it's good for the heart. Uh, because if one of the bodies missing, we're incomplete. Amen? So uh, let's keep each other lifted up. Prayer and supplication for one another. It's important. God hears the prayer of his people. So we got to be in prayer, constant prayer for one another. Um, also, one thing to uh, practice tonight for the hand mime team. So that's at 6 o'clock. So let's keep that in mind. Do we have any prayer requests or praise reports from anybody? Yes. My mom's in the hospital. Okay, we'll keep her lifted up.
Okay. Anybody else? Anything? Um, if you are new, and it just seems like every week, God is bringing new people here. And it's just amazing that the growth we're experiencing. Um, so please, these cards will be on the table. Fill one out um, so we can have a recollection of your visit. And we'll be all so grateful. Also, uh, let's be mindful to keep pastor and his family lifted up in prayer um that's constant attack i can only imagine um we all go through our own struggles and our own attacks every day um that's why we're to pick up our cross daily if we're going to follow him and fight the good fight so uh with that being said michael you want to leave us a prayer brother want to leave us a prayer let's go to prayer by yes Dear Lord Jesus, Heavenly Father, we want to thank you, Lord, for this opportunity, Lord, to come to your house to worship, Lord, to share your love, Lord, that you've given to us and just return it back to you, Lord. And we just want to lift up those names and all those that are our family, Lord, in prayer, Lord, for comfort and for healing. And ask that you just bless them, Lord, and continue to be with them and be with Pastor Frank as he brings the word, Lord, and the message, Lord. Just Open up our minds and our hearts, Lord, to be receptive of you, Lord, and to be a, a willing conduit that you can use, Lord, as we go back home to our families and then go on our way throughout the week, Lord. And we ask that you be with Pastor Joel as he's doing his thing with the children and everything, Lord, and just continue to bless this family and keep us and hope that we just make us grow more and more in your love in Christ's name. Amen.
land of Abraham, you're the God of covenant, faithful promises. Time and time again, you have proven that you do just what you say. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I'll remain steadfast and let my heart learn when you speak a word, it will come to pass. Great is your faithfulness to me. Great is your faithfulness to me. From the rising sun to the setting sand, I will praise your name. Great is your faithfulness to me. Oh, oh. Yeah. Seasons change. God from age to age, the earth may pass away, your word remains the same, yeah. Your history can prove, there's nothing you can do, you're faithful and true. Though the storms may come and the winds may blow, I remain steadfast and let my heart learn when you speak a word.
Have your Bibles with you this morning. Let me invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Luke, chapter number 12. Luke, chapter number 12. 
Are you glad to be saved today? Well, then smile. Look, look like you're happy. Luke chapter number 12, verse number 15. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware. Beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. And he said unto them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. Father, we are so grateful. Count ourselves fortunate, blessed, highly favored to be able to gather in a place just like this. To come together with people, family, just like this. Understanding that when we gather together in your name, you have declared to be in the midst of us. We welcome your presence today. We worship you. We praise you just simply because you are who you are. Lord, we pray that as we open up this blessed book, attempt to glean truth from your word, that you would give us clarity of mind and thought, receptive hearts, fertile ground to receive the good seed that you would sow in our souls this morning. Lord, it's not enough for me just to be here. I ask you to challenge me, challenge each of us to take your word and apply it to our minds that it may change our lives and help us to become more like Jesus today than we've ever been before. In his name we pray, amen. And amen. Before uh, we get into the text this morning, I, I do want to make a couple of announcements. First, um, for our gentlemen um, who have signed up for the study, um, 
radical. Uh, we will begin that study on May the 6th. That's a Thursday at 7 o'clock. Um, it's not too late. If you have not signed up, we uh, still have time to get you a book ordered. Um, but our materials did come in, um, and we're really excited, looking forward to our time together in fellowship, um, getting to know each other better, and, and being cha challenged uh, through this study. So that's April, I'm sorry, May, May the 6th at 7 o'clock. And then remember, um, revival starts that Sunday morning on May the 9th. Um, Brother Shane Jackson, uh, most of you uh, we'll remember Shane uh, from being here with us last year on Mother's Day um, for one of our outside services. So I, I encourage you to continue praying um, that God would do something special in our midst during this series of meetings. We can have a series of meetings and still not have revival. Amen. I'm more interested in having revival than a series of meetings. Amen. Amen. Um, that we would be praying God might revive us yet once again that his people, his people might rejoice in him. Also, this coming Saturday evening, um, we'll be having a movie night here at the church for the Powerhouse Warriors. That's the basketball teams that um, Joel coaches and are affiliated with. Um, if, if you would like to contribute to that, um, we're planning on providing a meal for them. Joan's going to uh, organize that and get that together. Uh, we just found out the date like yesterday for certain, so it's kind of a late notice. And, um, and then also you could bring uh, bags of candy and drinks uh, here to the church. Uh, you can drop those off here either this week or uh, bring them with you to just bring them with you to Bible study this Wednesday. Then you've got another reason to be here uh, this coming Wednesday. But we're really excited uh, about this outreach. And let, let me tell you the, the way that I believe that you can best contribute uh, to this outreach event. And that's you pray with us that God would use uh, our efforts to um, change where. These young people, some of them are going to spend eternity. Um, that God would use the presentation of the gospel to draw them to himself. I, I still believe that the power of God, the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. That's what works, amen? So we uh, encourage you to be praying uh, for that event this coming Sunday night. In regards to our text this morning, if you have a red letter edition, doesn't matter really whether you do or not, but if you do have a red letter edition of the New Testament, you'll find the words that we read in Luke chapter number 12 and verse number 15 uh, are written in red when you get to the quotation. That is, this is the Lord Jesus speaking. Um, if, if he's speaking, we ought to be paying attention. Amen. Amen. Amen? And Jesus said, Take heed and beware of covetousness. 
For a man's life consists not in the abundance of the things which he possesses. I, I'm not much on reading directions when I purchase something that has to be put together. I wonder if there's any other ladies in here that has a husband like me. I'm, I'm not a fan of directions. I will look at the pictures on the box and kind of follow my methodology of how I think it ought to go together. But, but I am becoming a fan of warning labels. N not direct. Warning labels. Might this be a good place to make mention, if you follow the directions, you may not need the warning label. But nevertheless, just about any product comes with some kind of a caution, some kind of a warning label. Now, I don't know who they write all of these things for, but if they're needful, there must be a lack of just good old-fashioned common sense anymore. Anybody else notice that? I mean, some things ought to just go without anybody having to say it. For instance, the warning label on a jet ski gas tank. Do not use a lit match or an open flame to check your fuel level. I mean, shouldn't, really, shouldn't that be common sense? <laughs> but I, I know the kind of people that they put those labels on there for. Because there was not one on the gas tank of a generator I was trying to get to crank in the dark. If it would have had a warning label, I might have kept my mustache and my eyelashes. <laughs> what about the battery-operated drill that comes with a warning label that says, this is not intended for dental purposes? Somebody, somebody gave the manufacturer calls, probably a lawsuit, to put that warning label on a cordless power drill. How about the thermometer? Some things ought to just go without saying. Once used rectally, it's not suggested you use in your mouth. <laughs> Who needs to be told this kind of stuff? Or the stroller manufacturer that literally places a warning label on their stroller 
that says, please remove child before folding. <laughs> Some folks just don't need to be parents. Amen? <laughs> or the dog medication that says, may cause drowsiness. Use care when operating a car. Why not just say, don't let your dog drive your car? <laughs> or don't take your dog's medication. Wouldn't that be better? <laughs> Nevertheless, apparently, some folks need warning labels, even those that sound foolish, like just common sense. In our text... Jesus places a warning label on the Christian life, on your life and mine. The context is Jesus is in the midst of preaching a sermon. Now, we won't, but if you were to go back to verse number one, you would find that he was preaching to an innumerable multitude. That is, there was too many people for anybody to count and see how many showed up in church that day. In fact, it was so crowded, the Bible says they were trotting upon one another. I don't think we're straining the text. If we were to say it this way, they was tripping over each other. Now, Jesus is teaching on spiritual matters. Those things that we really need to know about Christ and Christianity. He teaches in the preceding verses that there is a danger of hypocrisy even within the church. He's, he's teaching his disciples and he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. That is, people have a tendency to present themselves in one way publicly, and yet behave contrary to their presentation privately. Ever know any folk like that? That is, what you see is not always what you get. And Jesus says, beware of that. That's, that's point one in his sermon. And, and then he he does away with this idea that the preaching of the Bible should focus solely and primarily on the love of God to the exclusion of the holiness and the justice of God. He says it this way, Fear not men who can only destroy the body. That is, don't be afraid of folk just because they can kill you. But let me tell you who you need to fear. Fear God 
that can not only kill you, but after he's killed you, can cast you into hell. Jesus is teaching serious spiritual lessons. He teaches on the subject of forgiveness in heaven. Boy, aren't you glad this here life ain't all there is? And he says those that confess him here on earth, he will confess before the angels in heaven. That is, as a Christian, as you witness to others about Jesus, Jesus is talking to God about you. Boy, that's some good stuff, isn't it? I mean, have you ever really stopped to think about you are a subject of conversation between the Father and the Son in heaven? But he doesn't stop the sermon there. He goes on to say, but if, if you deny me before men on earth, that is, if you refuse to be a witness of me because you're embarrassed, because that's just not your personality trait, because you're not an eloquent speaker or charismatic, you want to be a closet Christian. He said, then he will deny you in the presence of angels. This is serious stuff. It's not only temporary here on earth lessons that Jesus is dealing with. He's dealing with over there when we get there if you're going. That's how weighty, how heavy this lesson is that Jesus is teaching and one man in the crowd interrupts him. Have, have you ever really contemplated how arrogant you have to be when Jesus is teaching possibly tens of thousands of people to stop the sermon and change the subject when God in the flesh is the one doing the preaching. And listen to what he wants to talk about. Lord, would you, not would, notice verse number 13. I flipped two pages instead of one. And one of the company said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide the inheritance with me. Now, he's not even politely asking Jesus a question. He's literally giving him a command. I want you to stop what you're teaching on and get to what it is I'm wanting to talk about. 
I'm not interested in the over there when we get there. I'm not concerned with forgiveness. I'm not concerned with being a witness for you. This is what I'm worried about. My daddy died and my brother took the whole lot. That's what's on my mind. And Jesus addresses him. And he says, who made me a judge over you? This, my business isn't to decide your father's fortune. That's not what I came to do. So he addresses him. But then verse 15 in our text, the Bible says he speaks to them. Only one guy is causing a problem. But Jesus capitalizes on the moment because he understands there's more than one man in the crowd that has a problem with covetousness, materialism. So he spoke or he said to them. And then he begins this parable, this parabolic teaching, and says there was a certain rich man. Don't turn me off right there because, see, so, some of you, you checked out on Jesus' first phrase because it's dealing with a rich man. And, and if I were, were to say to you this morning, how many of you consider yourselves to be rich, probably not be a whole lot of you lift your hands up. But, but I want to suggest to you this morning that you're more wealthy than what you realize. If you compare yourself to the person sitting beside of you, behind you, in front of you, standing before you, you may not consider yourselves to be very wealthy. But could I suggest to you you don't have to look too far to find somebody broker than you are. You've got more than probably you're giving God credit for. Well, let me see if I can break this down where somebody might can understand what I'm saying. If you have a cell phone, it probably costs more than my first car did. Come on. I just wonder how much money you're actually spending the hour or two that we're gathered here this morning. Right now, some of you are paying Netflix. Right now, some of you have... Internet services that you're paying for, a phone at your house that you're um, paying a bill on, and those uh, amounts are accumulating every moment. You have groceries that you're paying for in your house. I wonder how much money will be spent in the time that we're sitting here just this morning. 
Now let's take a trip across the ocean. Maybe go somewhere like India or Haiti or Guatemala where children are literally eating out of trash dumpsters. Don't tell me you're not rich. Jesus said to them, those who most of them were living in houses made out of packed mud with thatch roofs. And he wants to teach them about the danger of riches. I wonder if we really recognize and understand that with all of the glorious truths Jesus taught us about heaven, did you know he preached more on hell than he did heaven? And did you know that he taught more on finances than he did either of those two and combined? This is serious business, a serious subject. Jesus wants us to recognize the significance of this subject that he's teaching on when he says, first, take him. It literally means, listen to me. Pay attention. Because what I'm fixing to say is imperative. It's important. Jesus understands that there are people who are disciples of Christ who gather in our churches that when the pre preacher starts talking about money, they got a real problem. And Jesus says, take heed. Don't, don't, don't nod off. Don't, don't tune out. Don't, don't check out for a moment because this ain't about your neighbor. It's about you. And then he says, beware. There's your warning sign. There's your warning label. If covetousness was able to be bottled and sold, here's the first thing that you need to know. It would need to come with a skull and crossbones on the label. He says, that's how dangerous covetousness is actually is. You need to beware of it. You need to be on guard against it because, listen to me, the enemy is slick and covetousness is a slippery slope that any of us can slide down. Doesn't matter how saved you are, you can be stingy. I ain't getting a whole lot of amens this morning. You see, there's something wrong with the health and the wealth and the prosperity gospel that has become so predominant in Americanized Christianity and on our television sets. And here's what's wrong with it. It's not biblical. It's contrary to biblical teaching on finances. Beware of covetousness. It's almost like Jesus puts up 
a, a road sign, you know, like a warning sign or a caution sign and says, don't cross this line. I didn't learn until later. But I was traveling down a road that ran out. What I mean is, it come to a sudden stop. And where it come to a, a sudden stop, there's a big bank, and right down below the bank is a four-lane highway, and they've got a big guardrail up there, Billy. And not paying attention, I was flying down this road, and it was late at night, and I was messing down with the radio, and when I looked up, it was too late. I hit the brakes, and there was nothing I could do. I hit that guardrail, probably running 70, 80 miles an hour. Myself and my uncle both went to the hospital. The sad reality is, is if I would have taken heed, if I'd have been paying attention, I would have noticed there was a warning sign that said dead-end road. And I just blew right by Please don't just blow right by it this morning. This is too serious. It's significant. Let, let, let me tell you how serious covetousness is. Paul penned in Ephesians chapter number 5 and verse 5. For this know that no whoremonger nor unclean person nor covetous which is an idolater hath any inherent inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. So Jesus is saying, listen, no person who is covetous, and then he says a covetous person is actually an idolater, one who worships idols. And that person has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Isn't it interesting that the thing that this guy wants to talk to Jesus about is his inheritance here on earth, and Jesus wants him to understand there is an inheritance that's far more important and imperative to focus on than what you get when your daddy dies here. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul lists idolatry and witchcraft in his list of the works of the flesh and says in verse 21 that those who practice such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. You see, covetousness is not this little thing. In fact, did you know that greed made God's top ten list? 
If you were to go back in the Old Testament to the book of Exodus in chapter number 20 where God gave the Ten Commandments, did you know that he finished those up? He rounded everything off by saying, do not covet. It's serious business. It's significant to God. I, I, I noticed that he uses the word not only covetousness, but witchcraft or sorcery. The, the Greek word for that word is pharmakia. It's the same word in the Greek language that we get our English word pharmacy or pharmaceutical from. Now, I don't want to run this rabbit down in a rabbit hole, but I really feel like I need to tell somebody that drug addiction is not a sickness, it's a sin. It's pharmakia, it's witchcraft, it's idolatry, it's a work of the flesh. We need to understand that God does not send people to hell because they're sick. He sends people to hell because they're sinners. And we need to stop pacifying people's sin, relabeling it for where they feel more comfortable in it and dealing with it from a scriptural perspective. If covetousness could be bottled and sold, it should come with a warning label containing a skull and crossbones. Could, could I just, before I move on any further, could I just say that right now God's not speaking to him. He's speaking to them. He, he knows that this is a danger for every person on this planet to practice paganism or idolatry by worshiping creation rather than the creator. But, but, but could I say secondly from this great warning of Jesus that, that regardless of all of the stuff that you accumulate, no amount of stuff will ever satisfy your soul. He, he, he continues in this parable and he first talks about this man's great success. He says, the ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. Now, now we need to understand this before we go any further because I don't want you to leave out of here telling uh, folks that I said if you got money, you was living in sin. That's, that's not what I'm saying. Jesus does not fault the fact that this man's field brought in a fortune. He, he doesn't address that. He doesn't call that out as being an issue. I want you to understand that if you are blessed and highly favored of God, you don't need to hang your head in shame and feel guilty because God gave you something. But I do want to suggest that if God gave you something, you ought to be grateful for it and say thank you every now and then. He was 
successful. And, and I know some successful people, but I don't know any successful people who don't have some amount of stress. You see, the, the, the problem with stuff is the more of it you accumulate, the more stressful it becomes. I mean, it was in relation to this guy's financial windfall that he went to talking to himself. N notice the Bible says in verse 17, and he thought within himself, saying, what shall I do? That he thought within himself carries the idea of being troubled in your thoughts, being troubled in your mind. Boy, I wish I had some people's problems. Because here's what he's worried about. I got so much stuff, I just don't know what I'm going to do with it. That, that's the problem that's troubling him. That's the stress that he's under. What am I going to do with all of this stuff? Some of you folk got the same problem he's got. His solution to his stress and to his stuff, I'm going to build some bigger barns. Matter of fact, I'm just going to tear down the barns that I've already got and build some bigger ones to stuff all my stuff in. How many of you have written stuff stuff in places? Yeah. You know what? I, I don't know. But I'd say one of the fastest growing businesses in Brunswick County is storage containers. Man, they're going up like Dollar Tree or, or, or Dollar Generals everywhere you look. There's another storage facility going up. And I had to move recently. Most of y'all know I had to move recently and I always laughed at people, Billy. I literally did. I had a problem, an issue with people paying rent for somebody to store their stuff. Till I moved. <laughs> and I realized my stuff was too big for my stuffer. And we went and rented a storage building. Now, it would be one thing if we rented a storage building that you could walk in. But I come to find out and realize I have too much stuff for my stuff at home, stuffer at home and the one I'm paying rent on. Now, listen, that's dangerous. That's dangerous. What good is your stuff sitting in storage? Some of you ladies need to go home and clean your shoe closet out this morning. You can't wear but one pair at a time. Your husband ought not have to walk, knock out all of your closet so you can get more shoes in there. 
there's something wrong with having more clothes than you can ever possibly wear. L listen, th this, this ain't a, a cultural problem out in the community somewhere. This is a problem right here, right now, sitting at your table. You go ahead and choose the one you think it is. I'm going to leave that one alone. So, so, so th this man is stressed out over what he's going to do with all of his stuff. And his solution is, I'm just going to build bigger barns. And listen to what he says to himself. Did you notice he's talking to himself? He says, I'll say to my soul, stop right there just a moment. He didn't say to his soul. He said, I will say to my soul. <laughs> he's having a conversation with himself about a conversation he's going to have with it. This guy's flipped his lid. And it's all because of stuff. I'm going to say to my soul, you, you've got an abundance. You've got, I'm, I'm going to say to my soul, and he said this, I will... This is what I'll do. I will pull down my barns and build greater there, and I will bestow my fruits and my goods, and I will say to my, my soul, Soul, thou hast taken, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine, eat, take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. I'm interested in that last word of that phrase. What I want is my soul to be happy. And if I can get enough stuff, then I can say to my soul, soul, you've got enough to last a lifetime. Go ahead and retire and be happy. And you see, here's the thing is we have a tendency to think that things will make us happy. Folks buy stuff not because they need it, but to make them feel good. I, I don't really need a $200 pair of sneakers, but I'd sure feel good looking at them. I don't need, I, well, you know, I, I really, my kids are grown and I, I don't need a nine-bedroom house, but I feel a lot better in it than I would a one-bedroom apartment. 
we do it with food. Anybody know what I'm talking about when I use the word comfort? Trying to satisfy the soul. Make yourself happy with stuff. Problem is, is it works for a little bit. What I mean is, even the Bible says there's pleasure in sin, even covetousness for a season. But the season runs out. And then you'll find the same stuff that made you happy for a minute will make you miserable for a lifetime. I wish somebody would help me preach here this morning. Did you hear what I said? Anybody ever learned that what you thought would really make you happy flip-flopped on you and made you miserable in spite of how happy you were when you got it? Uh, I guess nobody in here's mortgage is above what it ought to be. Come on, it looked good. When we done the walkthrough. And when the bank said, we'll do it, boy, that felt real good. But when them payments started coming in, and they come like clockwork, don't they? I mean, they never miss a date showing up in your mailbox. And pretty soon you wind up regretting what you got. No wonder... Jesus says to this man that's trying to satisfy his soul with stuff, listen to this, you fool. Wow. That's pretty strong language coming from the Lord Jesus. But, but could I say this? If he said it, regardless of how it makes you feel, it's right. Because it is a foolish thing to think that you can satisfy your soul with stuff. You see, you got to understand something about the creation of the soul. You see, I just believe all of the Bible, TJ. I really believe... In the Genesis account. I don't believe in a big bang. I don't believe in evolution. I do not believe the product of human ancestors that we call monkeys. I believe in a creator God and I am created in his image. So if I believe that, then I have to believe how he says he done it. He didn't need any help from Darwin. He doesn't need modern-day scientific approval. No, my copy of the Word of God says he scooped up some dirt and created man in his own image. That's how he done it. But that dirt was just a pile of dirt. It was just a formed mound of stuff. But then God done something for the dirt. 
that he did not do for any other part of creation. The Bible says that God breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and Adam became a living soul. Adam had God's life, God's spirit, God's breath inside of him. And that's what made Adam happy and whole. And then Genesis chapter number 3 comes along and the serpent, the devil, enters into the picture. And he puts some stuff. Just an apple or just a piece of fruit off of the tree of knowledge and good and evil, uh, between good and evil, but it's stuff between Adam and Eve and God. God had told him, Adam, in the day that you eat of that stuff, in that day you'll surely die. So what God breathed into Adam ran out of him in Genesis chapter number 3. And the Bible says, whereas by man one sin, Adam, one man, Adam, sin entered into the world and death by sin, so death passed upon them on all because all have sinned. And you see, friend, here's the predicament that we're born into is we're all born with a God-shaped void vacuum in our soul. That person that makes us happy and full of joy and gives us life, he's not there when we're born physically. So we try to satisfy our souls with the stuff that we can see. And if we live long enough, and we become wise enough, we'll learn that stuff will never satisfy the soul. It'll never make you happy. In fact, it's been my personal experience, the more stuff I get, the more stuff I think i got to have. That's the way of the flesh. That's, that's covetousness. And... and by the way, for some of you who are so spiritual, you never do blow it like I am. Let me remind you, you're made of the same dirt I am. Amen. I could sit here and I could just spend the rest of the day talking about covetousness and my experiences with it. There was a time in my life, Bill, where I thought if it came out, I had to have it, and I had to have it right then. Boy, especially, I used to be into bass fishing. And, and I loved Walmart. <laughs> and, and let me tell you why I loved Walmart better than Bass Pro Shop. Bass Pro Shop, you get better stuff. Walmart, you get more stuff for your money. And so I could go into Bass Pro Shop and walk out with two or three bass lures where I could go to Walmart and walk out with 20 of them. Covetousness. You see, for some people it's bass lures. For some, 
it's shoes. For some, it's the house that you're living in. For some, it's that car that you drive. But if we're honest with ourselves, we're confronted, though we might not fall into it, we're confronted with the temptation of covetousness. And that's why Jesus said, beware of it. Be on guard against it because stuff will never satisfy your soul. I'm, I'm almost done. You look like you're getting bored. But, but I can't stop just right there because we learn also from the text that satiating the soul with stuff, listen to this, satisfying the soul with stuff is spiritual, eternal suicide. That may be the most profound thing that I say all day, so I'm going to say it one more time. Satisfying the soul with stuff is equivalent to spiritual, eternal suicide. But God said unto him, You fool, tonight, tonight, thy soul is required. Right now, you're going to stand before God practicing idolatry, covetousness, witchcraft. Right now, this night. Now, here's, here's what just really I've never seen in this text before yesterday. This man is having a conversation with himself about what he's going to do. He hasn't done it, Billy. He's just thinking about it. He's just talking to himself about a conversation he's going to have with himself once his barns are. He ain't even built the barns yet. He's just having this conversation, and Jesus says, God will say unto him, You fool! This night, right now, your soul is required. All of those plans that you're making for your stuff, you're not going to get your barn built. You're not going to raise bigger and better and pack more because on this night, you're going to stand before God and give an account for your life. Why did Jesus use that skull and crossbones at the beginning of this parable? Because, man, this is shaping eternity. This ain't about the right here and right now. It really boils down to this really simple concept right now are you ready to meet your God right now because a, a man's life it doesn't consist of his stuff 
Each and every one of us will draw a last breath on this side of eternity. Our heart will beat a last time on this side of the great divide. And in that moment, the Bible says, while it is appointed unto man once to die, you do understand the mortality rate amongst humanity still is 100%. You're not going to beat death unless you go in the rapture. And, and so quite simply, here's the question we all have to come to grips with in light of this really strong warning from the Lord Jesus Christ. Is who are you living for? I mean, that's really what it's all about. In this man's conversation with himself, go, go count them. I'm not going to do it for you. Do you homework. If you'll count the times he used the personal pronoun, I, it's at least six times he makes reference to himself. That reveals his self-centeredness. It reveals his self-sufficiency. And then if you count the times he used the word my, the personal pronoun my, in referring to his fruits and his goods and his stuff, he uses it four times. And that reveals his selfishness. Not one time in his conversation with himself does he discuss anybody outside himself. Now, I, I, would, I would suggest to you that he could have been a blessing and a benefit to a lot of people because of how good God had blessed him. Amen. I mean, it's not like there wasn't any poor people around. If you'll remember, just before Jesus' death on the cross, there was a woman who came to him with an alabaster box of ointment that the Bible says was very costly. It was very expensive. And she broke the box and poured all of it, every single drop, down to the, to the last drip out of the bottle, poured it all on Jesus. Hey, could, could, could I just stop for just one more moment and say, you'll never outgive God. It doesn't matter how good your giving is, it'll never be gooder than God's giving. Amen. I if I could say that one more time, I would. And then some of the folks sitting in the church that day, some of Jesus' closest disciples, some of the 12 that he kept around him all the time. And this is what they said because of this sister's generosity. Why was this waste made? You ever had anybody criticize you for being generous? You know why that is? Because they're greedy. They said this, this ointment could have been sold... And we could have took the money and given it to the poor. And listen to what Jesus said. And I'm done. Listen to what Jesus... No, I'm almost done. L listen to what Jesus said. 
Jesus said, the poor you always have with you. Now, wait a minute. We just all pretty much agreed a while ago that we were pretty well off. If your cell phone costs more than my first car, you ain't doing too bad. Amen. I know it was a beater, but still. <laughs> I mean, who among us could really stand here and say, God's not been good to me? No, I, I have to confess to you, boy, God's been awful gracious to me. God's been awful generous to me. And Jesus said, listen, you've always got poor people around you. Could I say this? You don't have to look across the ocean. But if you'll just open your eyes and look, God will show you people that you can be a blessing to. And you see, the heart of this man's problem isn't his money. It's not that he has all of these great possessions. The problem is the condition of his heart. He don't care about people. And he don't care about people because he don't care about God. I've got to point out one more thing. Finally, from this text, I want to say that riches will not only ruin your life, but if you don't keep a check on your heart, they'll not only ruin your life, they'll ruin your legacy. Because listen, listen to what Jesus says. Here's how he finishes up. This is his altar call, if you will. He wants you to think about your family. He says, tonight your soul is required. Then, therefore, who shall these things be? Who, who are you going to leave your stuff to? Who's going to inherit... What's destroyed your life? Now remember, remember the whole purpose of this parable is two brothers are fighting and falling out over their inheritance. Jesus wants us to understand that what we do with our wealth not only affects us, but it affects those that we leave behind. I, I can't tell you. Listen to me. I cannot tell you how many families, good, solid families, I've seen torn apart over a piece of dirt. You let the patriarch of the family die, and you'll see greed like you've never seen it before. Listen, I've seen them fight it out at funeral homes because of one word, covetousness. I'm going to be that guy that blows his children's entire inheritance. How about you? <clears throat> when I, I'm, I'm beginning 
I don't know. Maybe I'm getting older. Maybe, maybe it's because my children are, well, good gracious, they're grown now. And I'm, I'm thinking more, more long-term, Billy. I, I, I guess, you know, I, I, I've thought about it their whole lives, but, but I'm starting to really contemplate what kind of legacy I'm going to leave behind. And, and I just want to submit to you this morning that there are things that you need to leave your children and your grandchildren that are of a far greater value than a deed to a piece of property in a big bank account. Could I close by saying this? Let us strive to leave a legacy that honors God with gratitude and generosity. May our children see us and hear us expressing gratitude for God and demonstrating it through generosity to the poor that he has placed around us. We stand to our feet, our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. This is, this is really, man, this, this is serious. You know, I, I hear from people all the time this statement, and, and, and I understand the mindset of people using it, but the statement is this, God knows my heart. And the frightening thing is, is that he truly does, and... Too many people don't recognize what God recognizes about our own hearts. God says that the heart of humanity is desperately wicked. It's deceitful above all things. That is, my heart, my mind has a way of convincing me that I'm right even when I'm wrong. And I believe that's why God in the person of Jesus gives us these warning signs. He doesn't want us to fly through life striving for success and fortune and fame and popularity and come to the guardrail, come to the dead end of the road and stand before him having lived a life of self-centeredness and selfishness and covetousness. Jesus says that that person. Paul said shall not inherit the kingdom of God. It, it's a dangerous temptation for the Christian. But if that is your lifestyle. You have bigger problems. Than protecting and preserving your stuff. You see, friend, you're going to spend eternity somewhere. When we draw our last breath on this side of eternity, we open them, our eyes, on the other side. There will be those who have been saved, who have been born again. Those whom I believe I am among who will spend eternity in the presence of God.
worshiping and praising Him and serving Him according to His goodness and His grace and His mercy. But friends, we have to be as raw and as real as what Jesus is. Because regardless of popular opinion, according to Christ and the Bible, not everybody's going to heaven. You see, to live for self rather than live for Christ is to die without Christ. To spend eternity in a real place called hell. If you've not been saved, I, I want to second Jesus' statement. You best fear God. Who not only can take your life, but then cast your soul into hell. Now Jesus did not make bold and strong statements like that because he wants to condemn you. He wants us to understand the consequences of the choice that we make in regards to him. So friend, what will you do with Christ today? If you've never been saved, if you've never been born again, heads bowed and Eyes are closed all over the building. There's, there's nobody looking around this room but me and God. We're not here to embarrass you or put you on the spot. In fact, I'll pray with you and for you right there where you're standing. If today you need to be saved, you need God to where you're going to spend eternity. Would you right now just ever so lightly lift up your hand and just acknowledge pastor that's me pray with me that God will save me today God bless you sir who else pastor my life has been all about I and my and me but today I want to give my life to Jesus that's me maybe you're following online with us and and that's you. The Bible says that if thou shalt confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thine heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Many times the disciples were asked in the Bible, what must I do to be saved? I, I really believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe rose again the third day that he paid for my sins but what's my part and it's really really simple and, and you can begin right there where you're standing where you're sitting in front of your computer or your television today their answer was always the same and it was repent and believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you shall be saved the word repent literally means to turn means to turn away from the life that you're living and turn to Christ. Jesus would say it this way, come and follow me. 
So just to make the decision right now that, that you're going to turn from your sinful life and commit to being a follower of Christ because you believe. He came into this world and he died on the cross. And there he paid your sin debt in full. You believe that he was buried and on the third day he rose again. And that he can give you everlasting life. If you believe that and that's your desire today, would you pray with me? And just repeat after me and say, Heavenly Father, I acknowledge you as my creator. I believe you gave me life. And I confess that in this life I have sinned. Because I know all have sinned. And God, I'm sorry for my sin against you and against people. And I ask for your forgiveness. I believe you can and you do forgive me. I'm why Jesus died on the cross. I believe he was buried and rose again. And right now, will give me everlasting life. And so, Father, I ask for your forgiveness. I ask for your life. May you give to me right now the same spirit you breathed into Adam in the garden that I might become a living soul. Thank you. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. I'm going to ask Billy to join me in the front. Maybe you're here this morning. And you want somebody to pray with you. Maybe you just want to find yourself a, a, a place in this altar. Maybe you've been struggling with the temptation of self-centeredness and covetousness. And it's manifesting in your life or in your family. I, I want to encourage you, as a believer, as a Christian, today, repent of it. Lay it down here in the altar and turn your back on it. Walk away from it. It's dangerous, even for the believer. So as we begin to sing... Why don't you come? Why don't you worship? God's been good to you. Give him some praise. Amen. So
I know I can't preach again as bad as I want to. But, but I do want to say this, Bill. That while stuff will not satisfy your soul, Jesus. What was it he told the woman at the well? Whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him shall never thirst. But it'll be a pool of water springing up unto everlasting life. Boy, that's satisfaction, ain't it? Father, we are so grateful that, Lord, you're still in the business of saving folks like me. God, we thank you that you you love us even when we feel like we're unlovable. You forgive those things that we would consider to be unforgivable. And God, I look around this room this morning and, and Lord, it, it just it's, it's, it's more apparent every week how, how you use people that, Lord, that we might estimate as being unusable. thank you for loving us we thank you that you do in our soul what nothing or nobody else can do so God I, I pray with my brother uh, Joe this morning turn us to you turn our hearts toward you bend us according to your good pleasure and your good will Help us to enjoy you today. Not the stuff you give us, you. Help us to worship you today. To love you like we never have before. God, we know that when we love you right, we'll love our neighbor right. I pray that as we go out into the community this week, even this afternoon, God, open our eyes that we might see who it is you'd have us to be a blessing to. How we can change somebody's whole day. Maybe with our wealth and, and, and Lord, maybe with, with just a smile or a kind word. Help us to live selflessly. In Christ's name we pray. We thank you that